Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God's word which we hear this morning is from the book of Acts chapter 5 verses 29 to 42. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, and to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census, and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. But now I say to you, keep away from these men, and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. For a long time, astrophysicists were quite certain of the existence of black holes, even though they had not yet ever seen one or, or found a picture of one. They were quite certain of their existence because of the math and because of the effect that these massive bodies had on other heavenly bodies, stars and galaxies, etc. In the same way they knew of the existence of Pluto long ago, again long before they ever found it or saw it, by the effect that that, had, that body had on Neptune. Similarly, those of us who have never seen the risen Jesus, can nevertheless be quite certain of his existence in one way by the effect that that resurrection had not only on the apostles, but on our lives as well. The effect of Jesus' resurrection is quite clearly seen in all of our readings this morning. In our reading from the Gospel, we see Thomas, Thomas the doubter, Thomas who would not believe, and yet all of a sudden he does a complete 180 and declares, my Lord and my God. We see the apostles in our sermon text who ran away in fear on the, the, night, of, the night in the Garden of Gethsemane, and yet here they are standing before the council. And in our epistle reading, Peter reminds us, he talks about this, this effect <laughs> that Jesus' resurrection has on the lives of his people when he says that he, God, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Peter makes it clear that Christ's resurrection fills our lives. It, it fills our lives with that living hope that Peter is talking about here. 
And the same Peter who wrote this epistle is also the one who gave that short sermon before the Jewish leaders that we heard about in our, in our sermon text from Acts. The same Peter who here talks about this living hope talks about that same living hope in front of the Jewish leaders, and in particular he mentions three effects that Christ's resurrection has, not only on the apostles, but on us as well. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, Peter argues before those leaders, our lives are filled with that living hope. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, we have the gift of repentance. And finally, Peter talks about that because Jesus is risen from the dead, we also have obedience to God. The first effect is that living hope that Peter mentions in the epistle, or you could translate it as the hope which leads to life, and the glory of that resurrection which, which fills every day of our life, and that hope that changes everything about the way that we act and what we talk about. You know, if you knew for certain that a year from now you were going to get, let's say, $100 million, do you think that would change your life? I'm not asking if receiving the money would change your life. Of course, that would change your life. But I'm asking if the knowledge that the money is coming in the future would change your life now before you even receive a penny of it. I think the answer is pretty clear that it would. For one thing, you wouldn't have to worry about saving for retirement anymore or saving up for the future at all. For another, you could easily put off making any major purchases, knowing, well, <clears throat> we can wait a year, we can do without for a year, and then we'll have the money to buy it. Or, of course, some people might go the other way and start spending all kinds of money and putting it on credit cards because in a year we'll be able to pay it off no problem. But even if you didn't do any of those things, I think all of us would start talking and thinking pretty regularly about what we're going to do when we get that $100 million. The knowledge of that treasure to come would change, if nothing else, what you talk about and what you think about when you're at work. The apostles, of course, knew. They had seen Jesus risen from the dead. And they knew that because Jesus was alive, they would live also. They knew that a treasure far greater than $100 million would soon be theirs. They didn't know if it would be a year or 20 years or 50 years, but they knew that it was coming. And that knowledge of what was coming and what they had received through Jesus' resurrection certainly changed their lives. They were no longer interested in saving up for earthly things. Even at Jesus' ascension, the apostles were still thinking in earthly terms, weren't they? Because just before Jesus ascended into heaven, the apostles asked him, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they were still thinking about that earthly glory. They were still thinking about that earthly riches and those earthly kingdoms. But then at Pentecost, they received the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, they understood the true significance of Jesus' resurrection. And so they're, they're no longer, we see them in our text, no longer concerned about an earthly kingdom, or about earthly glory. It doesn't matter to them if the Jewish council wants them to stop talking. It doesn't matter to them if the Jewish council beats them for the proclamation of Christ. All they can think about, all they can talk about, is that treasure that they know is theirs, that resurrection of Jesus. We see the same thing, of course, with Thomas in our Gospel reading. 
Thomas the doubter. Thomas who would not believe unless he himself touched the hands and the side of Jesus. <clears throat> over in Chennai, India, I've probably told you this before, but over in Chennai, India, there's a mountain called Mount St. Thomas. And on the top of that mountain is a commemoration of the spot where Thomas was martyred for the proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus. And so we have Thomas. Thomas, who at first would not believe, who later went to, across the width of India, stopping in every village and proclaiming that resurrection of Jesus. That living hope certainly filled his life and changed the way that he thought and changed the, the things that he was talking about. The same living hope is foretold in Psalm chapter 46, verse 5. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. In that passage, the psalmist is foretelling the resurrection of Christ and that he will rise at the dawn. And he's also showing us the difference. He's making, he's making clear that distinction between those who walk slumped over, tired, with slow, heavy steps in the night and those who live in the light of Christ's resurrection and walk upright and full of that confidence. The apostles knew what was waiting for them, and it filled their lives with that, that hope, that joy, so that even as they're being beaten, they walk away rejoicing. The resurrection of Christ also changes our life by giving us the gift of repentance. And you notice that, that Peter specifically calls it the gift of repentance. He doesn't call it the call to repentance or the work of repentance or the decision to repent. No, he calls it the gift of repentance. We don't usually talk about repentance as a gift from God. We usually talk about it as a decision we make or something that we do. We change our hearts. But Peter is quite clear in here that repentance is something that is given to us from God. And it's a very precious gift from him. It makes a big difference in our life. If you look down at our text at verse 33, you see there that the, the people to whom, Jesus, to, to whom Peter was talking, the Jewish leaders, after they heard Peter's sermon, were cut, were furious. The New King James has the word furious. But other translations translate that same word as they were cut to the heart. Now some of you rem may remember that that same phrase is used uh, in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. We haven't had the reading from Pentecost yet. That, of course, is coming on the day of Pentecost. But you may remember it from past years. That there, once again, Peter gives a sermon. And a similar phrase is used that the people hearing Peter's sermon were, again, cut to the heart. Now, the Greek word that's used in our text and the Greek word that's used there in Acts chapter 2 are actually two different words, but they are related in that they talk about that, that pain stabbing to the very heart of the people. They're different in what they, what they imply about the response of the people. In our sermon text here, we have a word that they were cut to the heart, and the result is anger. In Acts chapter 2, they were cut to the heart, and the result is repentance. And it makes a big difference what the response is. God's word reminds us that his word is a sharp two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, piercing to the bone, to the very inner being of our body. 
And so God's word confronts us with that law that says to us, you did this. And we heard that on Good Friday. We came together on Good Friday and heard about how Jesus died and how it's our fault that he died. When we look at Jesus dying on the, on the cross, we see the punishment for our sin. And God's word confronts us and says, no, you can't blame somebody else. You are the one at fault. Just as Peter confronted the, the Jewish leaders and said, look at what you did to an innocent man. And so God's word confronts us with our sin. But how are we going to respond uh, to that law? Are we going to respond with anger or with repentance? Because of Christ's resurrection, we no longer have to be angry people like the Jewish leaders. We probably know people like this. People who are always angry at someone for something. People who are always blaming other people for everything in their life. People who are always holding grudges and who can't let go of the past and are unable to, to forgive other people. That's really a very sad way to live. It doesn't hurt the other people, but it hurts the people who hold on to grudges and kind of pulls them down into that anger and that resentment. The same kind of anger that we see here with the Jewish leaders. Look at the difference between the Jewish leaders in our text and the apostles. The Jewish leaders are filled with anger just because the apostles are preaching something that they don't like. On the other hand, the apostles walk away filled with joy and rejoicing. They're not holding a grudge against the Jewish leaders because they were beaten or because the Jewish leaders told them not to preach the name of Jesus. They easily forgive and still walk away knowing that they have been forgiven through Christ. Having received a, a repentant heart and knowing their own sin, they're quick to forgive others and to live instead in that, that joy of Christ's resurrection. Repentance is truly a gift which God gives to us, which allows us not only to repent of our own sins, but also to easily and quickly to forgive other people, rather than to live in that anger and that resentment. Finally, Peter reminds us that God has given these gifts through Christ's resurrection, to those who obey God. And he specifically uses the term of obedience here, to those who obey God, these gifts are given. And that might seem a little odd to us. That might sound like Peter is talking about work righteousness. If you do everything that God commands, then he'll give you these gifts. But we have to stop and consider the context here of Peter's sermon. And remember that he begins the sermon with that question, should we obey God or should we obey men? And so this whole sermon, even though it's a short sermon, but the whole sermon is centered around that idea where he's coming to the, the Jewish leaders and he's saying, look, you think we should obey you and do what you say, but look at what Jesus did for us and the gifts that, that he promised us. I think it's better if we obey and follow him. And so this term obedience uh, is really just used there to connect back to that beginning of the sermon. If you look at verse 31 of our text, Peter says that God exalted Jesus and made him ruler and savior. So he is our ruler, he is our king who rules in our hearts, he is our ruler whom we gladly follow, but at the same time he is our savior who forgives our sins and sets us free from sin. 
So this obedience then that, that Peter's talking about here is not the obedience of the law, which demands that we follow every single thing in God's word perfectly, or else we receive death. Rather, it's the obedience of the gospel, which calls on us to follow Christ and to live in his forgiveness, knowing that we have sinned, but that we are forgiven through Christ. This is what Jesus himself told the disciples even before he died. He told them, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. That's the obedience that Peter is talking about here. The obedience that is not so much our doing, but is Christ drawing us to himself. We can talk again about planets and black holes and even the sun of our solar system. It's the, the force, the pull of the sun's gravity, of course, which keeps the planets in orbit around the sun, which draws those planets into that orbit. In the same way, it's Christ's resurrection. And these gifts, the forgiveness of sins and a repentant heart, and his word and his sacraments, which draw us to follow him. It is him pulling us after him, and not our ability to obey, which makes all the difference. And so Jesus promises to those who have been drawn to him through his word and through his sacraments, those who live in the light of that resurrection, we also have received these gifts. The gift of a repentant heart, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gifts that he talks about here, the treasure that will be ours in the life to come. The proclamation of Jesus' death and resurrection does indeed draw us to himself. And drawn to him through his word, that resurrection changes our life. It becomes the center of our life, what our life lives around and its orbits. It becomes the thing that we talk about so that no one can stop us from sharing the wonderful news that Jesus is risen from the dead. His gift of repentance also allows us to live in that joy of being forgiven and of gladly and freely forgiving others. Amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.